title, Serve and Rest, the big idea, God rescues His people to serve and rest. So I'm building a treehouse right now for my kids, and uh, you know, I, I've built things in the past. I've built enclosures for animals, fences. I used to build pools. Um, this is different, right? I mean, this is something that my kids are going to use. They're going to, I haven't told them this, we're actually going to move our kids to this treehouse. Uh, Clark, and, and so you guys can come in and use the restroom and, and grab stuff out of the kitchen and eat with us, of course, but uh, mom and dad are now going to have the house. So that's, that's uh, why I'm building this. Uh, but no, seriously, you know, it, it's important to me. Uh, a few things, why? Um, I, I want it to be safe, right? I want it to be safe for my kids. It's, it's, and I'm almost done. I'm about two-thirds of the way done. It's going to be fully enclosed. There's a big deck. Um, I, I want it to be <laughs> more for my wife, but I, I want it to be aesthetically pleasing to the eye. You know, I don't want it to be an eyesore. Thankfully, on our property, we have this area in the back that's wooded, and so I, I cleared out a place And so you can't really see it from our home, but I still want it to look nice. I want it to be functional, right? I want it to bless my kids. That's the big thing. I want it to bless Clark, Luke, and Sam because they'll be there a lot, a whole lot. (laughs) You know, I've watched videos. um, I've talked. There's some, uh, I'd say, expert builders in our church, men that have built homes. And so I've asked a lot of questions. Again, I've watched tutorials. I've purchased some tools, you know, I have tools, but I had to purchase uh, more specific, like specialty tools. I've borrowed some tools, I've bought supplies, but I'm not an expert builder. I have a confession to make. I'm not, I can build things, I enjoy it, but I'm not an expert. I think if you came to my home right now and you saw this tree house, it's a work in progress, you'd say, man, it looks good, and it does, it looks good, but it's not perfect. It's far from perfect. But there is an expert builder. And we know who that is. Who, who is the expert builder, the perfect builder? It's the Lord. Amen? It's the Lord. What he builds is for his glory and for the good of his people. His plans, God's plans, his building plans cannot and will not be thwarted. Now, you may read Genesis and Exodus and think, yeah, but we're, we're no longer in the garden, Right? And after God rescues Israel from slavery, they fall back into spiritual slavery with the golden calf. We're going to see that in Exodus 32 next week. But in the Bible, we have the whole story. We have all the blueprints. And what do we know as Bible-believing Christians? What is the end of our story? We see a new heaven and a new earth, a new Eden, where God's glorified people reside with their king. And what's absent? What's not going to be there? No more sickness. No more death. No more sin. No more enemies of God and his people. It's going to be perfect. And we're going to be with our Lord forever. Again, I want us to see that God is the expert builder who builds for the good of his people and for his glory. Well, I mean, we've been talking about building quite a bit. We've been looking at the tabernacle. And Exodus takes, essentially, on the front end, six chapters to unpack this. What God's people are to build, the specific materials they're to use. And so again, from Exodus 25 all the way to 30, we have detailed instructions for how to construct the tabernacle, its furnishings, even the priestly garments. 
If you know your Bible, you know that this represents, I think, one of the most significant building projects in the history of mankind. But there's this question. We have all this instruction, but then we're left wondering, who's going to do it? Who's going to build it? In come two great names, by the way, Bezalel and Aholiab. Anybody have a kid named Aholiab? Nobody went for that? Were you tempted? You weren't? Okay. Probably wise. These men and others would be tasked with constructing the tabernacle, its furnishings, and even the priestly garments. This was the place, we've talked about the tabernacle quite a bit. This is the place where God, the God, the the creator of the cosmos, would dwell with his people and rule over them as king by his word. This was the place where atonement was to be made through sacrifice. These men, Holiab and Bezalel and others, were called and they were equipped by the Lord to serve God's people through this incredibly significant building project, much more significant than a treehouse. Now, the key verse, and we see our, our passage, our chapter, Exodus 31, is really divided into two halves. We're going to look at the first half first. And in the first half, the key verse is verse 3, which reads, And I have filled him, Bezalel, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Now, what stands out here, if you're listening carefully, what stands out here is the mention of the Spirit of God. And not only that, but pay attention, but it's the mention of the Spirit of God in the context of creation. The context of building. The context of construction. And this harkens back to Genesis 1-2. Genesis 1-2 says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And again, what's the context? God is creating. He's working. And who's at work? The Spirit of God. And also, this language of the Spirit of God in the context of creation, construction, building, looks ahead to God's work of New creation through Jesus. Who would be at work through Jesus' work of new creation? The Spirit. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. When and where God creates, the Spirit of God is present. When and where God creates in the Bible, who's present? Every time, it's the Spirit of God. And not only that, but wherever you have God's people serving in the Bible, who's present? Who equips them and empowers them to serve? The Spirit of God. Think back to Genesis 1, chapters 1 and 2. What is the job that God gives Adam and Eve? There too, starts with su, ends with erv. They're to serve. They're to serve God's sacred space, right? He, he creates this Edenic temple. It's a garden temple, and they're called to serve it. And of course, in Exodus 31, we have Bezalel. He's filled. He's filled with the Spirit of God to serve God's people in constructing the tabernacle. And then in the New Covenant, we as Christians are given the Spirit for what purpose? What's the takeaway here? What's our first point? Number one, the Lord gives the Spirit 
to his people to serve one another for his glory. We're given the Spirit to serve, to serve the good of each other. Now, two things we need to focus on here. First, the Lord rescues his people so that they might do good to one another. God rescues us to serve one another. And this is seen in the second half of the Ten Commandments, which deals with what? The first half of the Ten Commandments deals with man and his relationship to God, the vertical. The second half deals with man and his relationship to his fellow man, right? And what are we called to do? We're called to serve one another. But what comes first? This is really important. Before God calls his people to serve, what happens to them? They are rescued. God rescues his people. Now, does God rescue his people because they're such great servants? No, he rescues his people by his grace, by his mercy, his kindness, his unmerited favor. We don't deserve God's rescue. It's all grace. But he rescues us for a purpose. Again, the order is so important. What precedes our service? I've been rescued. I've been rescued to do what? To serve. And second, the Lord gives the Spirit to fulfill His work through His people. Is it easy to serve each other? Is it easy? No, it's a tall order. But who does God give us so that we can do it? He gives us the Spirit. We must remember that the Lord gives His people the Spirit to accomplish His work. And this for His glory. Where else do we see this? Is this a common theme that God gives His Spirit to His people to accomplish His work? Do we see that in other places in the Bible? God giving His people His Spirit to do His work. Yes. Exodus 28.3 You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled. I have, God says, I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. And then we go ahead to Exodus 35, 31. And he's filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. It's basically a repeat of what we just saw in our passage. Deuteronomy 34, 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the Spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Micah 3, 8. But as for me... I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. The Lord gives the Spirit to his people to do his work for the good of his people. The Spirit is sent so that we can serve one another. Now, what does this mean for us today in the church? The good news of the new covenant promised in places like Ezekiel 36 and Joel 2, is that the Spirit of God wouldn't be given to just a select few, but to all of God's people. The difference is one of scope. And what does the Spirit do? I want to take a moment just to refresh our memory. What is the role of the Spirit in the life of God's people? Number one, if you're taking notes, the Spirit, thankfully, regenerates makes alive, if you want to put in quotations, makes alive, regenerates the spiritually dead. That's all of us before Christ. Amen? Come on, admit it. You were dead. And what do dead people do? Nothing. They can do nothing. So what does the Spirit do? 
The Spirit is sent through the preaching of the gospel to regenerate or make alive the spiritually dead to respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. John 3, 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. What comes before belief? They have to be born of God by the, by the Spirit. Number two, the Spirit, this is so good, the Spirit marks us out. Man, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been marked by who? The Spirit. The Spirit marks us out as followers of Jesus and children of God. Oh, this is so good. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Spirit marks us out as those who belong to Jesus. Romans eight fifteen to 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit marks us out as God's children. And everybody said, oh. Number three, I'm so thankful for this. The Spirit enables us to understand God's Word. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. Why? For their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. To understand the things of God, you must have the Spirit of God. Amen? And then lastly, number four, and here's where we're going to park for a bit. The Spirit empowers us to follow Jesus and conforms us, shapes us, molds us into the image of Christ. The Spirit empowers us to follow Jesus and conforms us to the image of Jesus. And this includes things like evangelism, holy living, and serving others in the church. Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. And then we have Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Who works these things in us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is the, it's the Spirit. And then I love Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, right? Serving each other with the Word. Now, the focus here is on serving. The Spirit of God is given to the people of God that they may serve one another for the glory of God. The people of God are given the Spirit of God so that we may serve one another for the glory of God. I I think this is one of the clearest evidences or fruit that someone belongs to Jesus. They now live to serve, right? I I remember in our church plant in Washington State, just north of Seattle, we met in a school. I mean, listen, we can't just leave our stuff set up all week long because people are using that facility. And so we'd have our volunteers come in every Sunday, an hour and a half, two hours early, and stay an hour and a half, two hours late to set up 
and tear down. I had to turn people away. I'm like, hey, we're good on volunteers. They just wanted to come and serve. They saw this as kingdom work. We want to serve. We want to be here. I've seen that here at Kelty's. There are many of you that I've met. And again, this shouldn't be like the exception. Like, wow, you like to serve. It's the rule. Amen? It's the rule of God's kingdom. If you're saved, you've been saved to serve. The believer says not, oh, I have to serve, but rather, I get to serve. I get to serve. I want to take a step back for a moment, and I want us to try and see what is similar between the Spirit's work in our passage, Exodus 31, 1-11, and the Spirit's work in the New Testament. It's the same Spirit, amen? It's the same God at work. So what are the similarities? In Exodus 31, listen here. In Exodus 31, the Spirit fills God's servant, great name, Bezalel, to prepare, listen, why? To prepare a place for God to dwell with his people. The Spirit is at work preparing God's place for God's people for God's glory. Now we come to the New Testament. In the New Testament, the Spirit fills, everybody say all. All of God's people, right? The Spirit fills all of us. That's the promise of the new covenant. Again, the Spirit wouldn't just be for a select few, but all believers. So in the New Testament, in the new covenant, the Spirit fills all of God's people so that they can be, we can be, a holy habitation for who? The Lord. The Spirit dwells in God's church. This helps us to see the role of the Spirit. The Spirit of God fills the people of God to be a holy dwelling place of God in this for His glory. Now, where do we see this in Scripture? Oh my goodness, I had to just stop. There are so many places. I'll give you two. Ephesians 2.22, In Him, Paul writes, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. That should wow you. You, me, we, in Christ, get to be, by the Spirit, a dwelling place for God. Are you kidding me? Paul says, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 4-5, as you came to him, a living stone, talking about Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, the, the main thing I want to focus on here, because I believe it's the, the main message, the main idea of the text, is the relationship between the Spirit, everybody say the Spirit, and service. Everybody say service. The Spirit, Service. The Spirit, service. Okay, that, that's the main relationship here in our text. Again, the Spirit fills, the Spirit fills God's people that they may serve one another with a goal. Here's the goal. With the goal being conformity to Christ, ongoing holiness. The Son of God gives the Spirit of God so that the people of God, listen, may serve one another toward greater degrees of holiness. The Son of God 
gives the Spirit of God to the people of God that we may serve one another toward greater degrees of holiness. And this for the glory of God. <laughs> it's always for His glory. What might this look like in the church today? Let's get practical. How can we as Spirit-filled Christians serve one another toward greater degrees of holiness? Who wakes up thinking, okay, I'm a Christian, I have the Spirit, and I'm given the Spirit to serve this body toward greater degrees of holiness. My job is to serve this body so that they look more like Christ. That's your job. Each of us is given the Spirit for that purpose. Amen? So what are you doing about it? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm busy. What? This is a privilege you're given the Spirit of God to serve the people of God so that they may be transformed more and more into the image of God. Here's some examples. And I see this happening in our church. Praise God for that. Serving in the, the nursery. Ah, but that's not flashy. Who cares? Do you know what it does? When you serve in the nursery, it allows young moms and dads to gather with God's church under the preaching of God's word to be fed. You don't have to do it every week, but get in a rotation. We had our Awana ceremonies. Oh, I was so encouraged. Serve in Awana. Be a part of training our children in the Word of God. I mean, come on. How, who was here on Wednesday? How sweet was it to see all these kids up here reciting God's Word together. Psalm 1, Psalm 8, Psalm 16, Psalm 19. Man, I was so pumped. And you know why they're doing that? Because we have people volunteering their time, saying, I want to serve this body. I want to pour into this body. I want to see this body conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And that happens through the, through the Word. Serving our youth on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Get involved with our youth. You know, men, find out which young men don't have a father figure and commit to coming alongside them to mentor and disciple them with the Word. Oh, what a blessing. Amen? Women. Meeting with other women one-on-one in the Word of God. That is a great way to serve this body. I love seeing older women come alongside younger women and opening up God's Word, praying together, sharpening each other. I love seeing older men coming alongside younger men and doing the same thing. These are the types of things we can do to serve one another toward greater degrees of holiness. The Lord saves us and fills us with the Spirit to serve one another toward greater degrees of holiness. The Lord, by the Spirit, gifts. He gifts each of His children for the purpose of selfless service toward the body of Christ. I love 1 Peter 4, 10-11. As each has received a gift... Okay, so what is Peter assuming there? Every believer has received a what? A gift. Hey, you have a gift from the Lord. Amen. Now what should you do with it? I'm going to put it in my closet and just let it sit. No, what do you do with it? What does Peter say? You use it to do what? To serve one another as good stewards. If you have a gift and you don't use it, what are you not being? A good what? A good steward. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. 
Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, oh, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There's no greater goal. We serve one another using the gifts God has given us so that God's people are made to look more like Jesus in all that for the glory of who? If that doesn't get you excited, something's wrong. We need to talk. Let's come back to the treehouse. I'm hoping after today, dads are going to be inspired. There's going to be a treehouse movement at Kelty's. Yeah, my kids no longer, I was being, I was kidding, by the way. I'm not going to move my kids into the treehouse. The pastor did it. I thought it'd be okay. (laughs) This has been the best part of the treehouse, and it's honestly taken it much longer to get finished. When I go out there and work, who do I bring with me? I bring the kids, man. I, I mean, I, I want them to help me. They hand me tools. I mean, Luke, Sam is, Sam is so good with the circular saw. You should see her. I'll post it on YouTube. No, I don't know what that is. Anyways, they help me measure. They mark cutting lines. They hand me tools. I mean, Clark was great getting it all squared and level. They're out there working with Daddy. And I'm sure many parents here have similar stories and memories. I want to quote T. Desmond Alexander here. He writes, In much the same way, God has chosen us, his children, to shape his creation, to salt our societies, and especially build his church in ways that under his power and looking forward to God's ultimate fulfillment of his purposes, prepare for his arrival. Here's the point. The Lord calls us to join him in his building project. Oh, what an honor, amen? Better stated, he builds through us. He builds his kingdom. He extends his rule. He grows his people through his body, through his church. Amen? Are you, now you're thinking, no, 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 come on. The king? The king wants to use me? The king wants to invite me to build with him? Yes. And he gives us what for that purpose? The Spirit. The Spirit. i got to move. Next we come to Exodus 31, 12 to 18, which is the second half of our passage, and this is going to be quick. How are the two halves related, by the way? How are the two halves related? This is one chapter. Why is this passage strategically placed here between the call to serve and the failure to worship? What's Exodus 32 all about? A failure to worship. It's the golden calf story. Many theologians have called this the second fall. So why place this second half of Exodus 31 here? I'm going to come back and answer that, but for now, what is the point of our second passage? Here's point number two. The Lord calls his people to regularly, the Lord calls his people to regularly rest Recall and revere him. To rest, recall, and revere him. The Sabbath, and I'll unpack this. We talked about this months ago when we walked through the Ten Commandments. How dare you not remember? It was a long time ago. Probably, goodness, I don't know, five months ago. So, the Sabbath. Let's talk about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was an ongoing reminder for God's people to commit to the three R's. And what are they? The three R's? Rest. Recall and revere. The the Sabbath, if you know your Old Testament, the Sabbath was steeped in two events. 
creation and the exodus, okay? So when God's people thought Sabbath, they thought creation, God is the creator, and they thought the exodus, God is the savior. The Sabbath was all about worship. It was a reminder that God was both creator and savior, and thus worthy of his people's lives. Now, what does Sabbath mean? The Hebrew word actually means stoppage. Everybody say stoppage. What does stoppage mean? Stop. (laughs) Stop. Doug Stewart writes, the Sabbath is literally the stopping day. Stop, Stop and do what? The day on which one's regular work ceases, both for the sake of giving workers a break, a break from their daily routines, and for the sake of providing a focus on God that is periodically, weekly heightened. The Sabbath was a call to stop and worship. The Sabbath was a call to stop and do what? Worship, to remember that this God that we serve is both the Creator and the Savior. Let me skip down. The main verses in the second half of our passage are verses 13 and 14. Listen to this. This will help. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. All right, so that's an important word, verb. Sanctify, keep holy. Here's the principle. Let me just summarize this. Here's the principle. The Lord had a special, set-apart, unique day for his special, set-apart, unique people to recognize their special, set-apart, unique God. That's it. The Lord had a special, unique, set-apart day for his special, unique, set-apart people to recognize their special, unique, set-apart Lord. This day was for God's people to rest. Everybody say rest. I'll tell you a resting story. and Don't fall asleep on me, though. This day was for God's people to rest in the Lord, to rest in His saving work, to rest in His provision. Maybe a better way is to trust, to trust in both His spiritual and physical provision. It was also a day for God's people to recall, to remember, to recall His work of creation. If God created us, He made us and we're His. We belong to Him. And if God saved us by pulling us out of slavery, we're his. We're doubly owned by him. So the Sabbath was a day for God's people to remember, you're his. Everybody say, I'm his. Okay, so it was a day to trust, a day to remember, and then the the third R is to revere, to worship. What is the proper response to this reminder that God is both creator and savior? It's this. It's worship. It's reverence. It's awe. Now, what does the Sabbath mean for the church today? Again, I answered this several months ago, but let's come back to it quickly. We must remember that Jesus has transformed the fourth commandment, which doesn't mean that he's eradicated it. It's not what it means. However, in Christ, we should approach it differently. In the Gospels, especially Mark, it's highlighted, we find Jesus healing the sick, restoring the dead on the Sabbath, and reminding his listeners and us 
that the Sabbath is a day for doing good. Paul, the Apostle Paul, also had much to say about the Sabbath. Colossians 2, 16-17, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow. Everybody say shadow. A pointer, a shadow of the things to come. But the substance, the fulfillment belongs to who? Christ. Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath, meaning he is the place of rest. What does Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I'm going to give you rest. Oh, amen. Jesus is the reason we rest spiritually in his work of salvation. Now, there are two dangers related to the fourth commandment. First, there's the danger of completely ignoring the fourth commandment. Treating it as if it has no relevance for us today. The twin principles of worship and rest remain. We must remember that Sunday is the Lord's day. Now, why is it the Lord's day? Why Sunday? Why not Saturday? We see this trend in the New Testament. Revelation 1.10, 1 Corinthians 16.2, because Jesus died on a Friday, and on the third day Sunday, he was, he was raised. And so God's people started to gather on Sunday. That was the Lord's day. Should we continue doing that? Should we prioritize this day? You know what God's Word says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Don't neglect this gathering. Why do we gather? To stir up one another to love and good works, to serve each other toward greater degrees of holiness. Then there's the danger of becoming overly dogmatic about how we observe the Lord's Day. Kevin DeYoung reminds us the judicial penalties and ceremonial legalities of resting on Saturday have been eliminated. We don't rest to receive rest. Amen? We don't rest. Christ has done that for us. Somebody's trying to turn me off. It's okay. I'll keep going. We rest to rejoice in the rest He has provided. And we rest to reorient our minds on the Gospel. Again, the principles behind the Sabbath remain for God's church today. We rest in the Lord, our Savior and Provider. We must regularly recall who He is. He is our Creator. He is our Savior. And that leads to the third R, reverence. We worship Him. Again, the Sabbath is all about worship. This principle is to remain front and center in the life of God's church. Here's the practice step. Here's the, here's the action step, if you will. Here's the application. Prioritize the Lord's day. Prioritize the Lord's day. Commit to gathering every Lord's day, every Sunday, for the purpose of resting, recalling, and revering the Lord with his rescued people. Now let me come back to the question because this is really helpful. Context. Jesus is king. Context is... Why, why is this passage placed here? Why this reminder to rest in the Lord, to worship? Before that is the call to serve. After that is the warning of what? Idolatry. Why this here? Well, what should motivate God's people to serve one another? 
And what should motivate us to avoid idolatry? The Sabbath. And what it stood for. What do I mean? The Sabbath was a reminder of God's identity as creator and savior. It was a reminder of his work of rescue on behalf of his God's people. God's people are called to serve one another in response to God's saving work. Why do we serve each other? Is it to earn God's favor? No, we get that in Christ. One of the ways that we show our gratitude to God as our rescuer is we serve one another. Amen? And guys, listen, why do we rest? Why do we, why do we worship? Why? Because he's worthy. He's the creator and he's the savior. And when we serve and when we rest, who are we imitating? Who came to serve? I would say this is the twin vocation of the Christian. I'm called to serve and I'm called to rest. Who came to serve? Christ. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 13, Jesus takes on the most menial tasks. He washes the disciples' feet, which pointed to a greater act of service to come, a greater washing to come at the cross. But listen to John 13, 14, and 15. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Furthermore, Christ rested. What's Christ doing right now? Now, is he still working? Yes, he's praying for us. But is he resting? Where is Christ right now, by the way? He lived, he died, he rose again, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rests. And if we're in him by faith, we can rest. Amen? His work is complete. He lived, he died, he rose again to save us, and we can rest in him. We can know that we know that we don't have to do anything to save ourselves. Christ did it all. Who longs to rest? Who knows the joy of resting? Several years ago, my buddy Matt and I and our friend Brigham, we climbed Mount Washington. It's the highest peak east of the Mississippi. It's a dangerous climb. It really is. We weren't married at that time, so we didn't think as clearly. But we talked to some experts. They said, yeah, you'll be fine. Stick to the trail. So we climbed Mount Washington. We weren't really prepared for it, but we did it anyway. And I'd say about two-thirds of the way up, we were dying. Not literally. We were tired. The thing about Mount Washington is the change in temperature. Was it recently? It was like a hundred degree difference one time. That's insane. It can get into the so when people go and they and they train to climb uh, like K two or what's the bigger one? Anybody know? The largest peak. There it is, buddy, Mount Everest. Do you know where they go to train? Mount Washington. So I, I feel like we could probably go climb Everest today. No, we couldn't. Two thirds of the way up, we're dying, and a family comes down. It's a dad and his son, probably a teenage son. And he said, guys, you're almost to the top. And guess what? At the top, there's this little shack. And in the shack, there's a place to rest. And there's hot chili. Oh! Oh! Did you say chili? Let's go! Ooh! And I just, man, we got this second wind and we took off. And you know what we did for like two hours? We rested. And we ate a lot of chili. And those saltine crackers. Oh! We long for rest. And, and here's what I'm talking about. The soul longs for rest. The soul longs to be right with God. The soul longs for forgiveness, but you will never know true spiritual rest until you know the one who came to give it, Jesus Christ. Amen? You will never rest until you rest in him. 
So have you rested in Jesus? And if you have, guess what? You're now empowered by the Spirit to do what? To serve. Again, these, as a Christian, it sounds so counterintuitive. Rest and serve. Serve and rest, yes, but you got to get the order right. We don't rest in our service. We rest in His service. And we serve because of the rest He gives us. Amen? So Christians, let's get busy serving. And again, what does that mean? God's given you a gift. Use it to help this body grow toward greater degrees of holiness. And daily, friends, rest. Rest in what He's done. We gather every Lord's Day to rest. To trust in Him. To recall who He is and what He's done. And to worship Him. To revere Him as our Lord and King. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the rest that we have in Christ. Jesus, you came and you said, come to me and I'll give you rest. And we know that you're referring to the deep rest of the soul. The rest that comes from knowing that in Christ and through trusting in Christ, we are now right with God, forgiven, brought into a relationship with the God of the universe. And we thank you that not only do we rest, but we serve. God, you have saved us to serve each other toward greater degrees of holiness. Father, I pray that every member of this church, every believer in this room would ask the question, how am I serving this body? How am I helping this body to grow? How am I stewarding the gift or gifts God has given me to help this body become more like Jesus. And I pray then, Father, we get to work. That we would spend our lives well to see every member of this church shaped and made more like Christ. God, for your glory. I pray that your glory would motivate our service. And that we would serve because of the rest you give. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said.